Again, I am so blessed this morning this, uh, that people find it important to gather this morning, you know, when there's so much going on. I want to start this morning by saying that God wants all men to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He loves them, that He cares about them, that He desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. You know, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning. That's where we start this morning. And we'll end here this morning. Because in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God, this one who created everything perfectly, who spoke and the universe came into existence, and the Bible says this about the stars. Oh, and he made the stars also. But again, elsewhere in the scripture, we realize out of the billions of trillions of stars, in the millions of different galaxies that we know of, God says an amazing thing that he calls them all by name. He sets them all in his stellar course, and he knows them, he knows his, his creation intimately, they stand at attention. They should stand at attention because He created them. He's full of majesty. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No philosophical argument there. God created. And then we move on to an interesting understanding that after God created everything, He called everything good that he had created. Listen to this wonderful thing. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Man to become a plant, man to become an animal, man became a living soul. He was conscious of who he was, he was conscious of his surrounding. And yet God gave him a spirit that only he was unique, that could relate to God, could have fellowship with God. That's the difference between soul and spirit. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews says it divides as far as soul and spirit. They are divisible. They are different. God created man in his image. Apart from all of his other creation, God had created man in a special capacity to be with him intimately. To share emotion, to share joy, to share love. All those come from that, that initial creation, that intimate time that they had with their creator. You don't believe you need to listen this morning. God is speaking to you. Unlike anything else, man, you were created. You weren't created by blind chance. You weren't created by random chance. You weren't a bag of molecules that just happens to form together at the right time. God created you unique. You know, they say that every single uh, drop of snowflake is different. Think about this. 
Everyone is different. And yet God, snowflakes perish. Every person is uniquely different. But you know what? Uniquely every person has is a stamp of their creator on them. What does this have to do with the Christmas story? Everything. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, able to make his own choice. You know, the universe stands up because it has no other choice. God created in his power. Do you know that the writer of the Hebrews says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power? The word of his power. God upholds everything by his word, by his powerful word. They stand because he's majestic. They can do nothing else. This world rotates because it can do nothing else because that was God's command. And yet he forms man. He forms man with, with his own will. He forms man with the capacity to love, the capacity to reason. Because God wants to be loved for who he is. Not for what he does, or what he can do, but for who he is. That's how we're unique. That's how we're set apart. God is everywhere at once. God manifests himself in in a triune Godhead because that's love. You know, when you get married or you have a close relationship, you manifest yourself to to your your loved one, because that's what you do. That's love. God does not hide himself from us. You know what hides itself from us? is sin. Sin separates. So man is formed, and God breathed into him, and, and man became a living soul with the capacity to love God. To enjoy his surroundings, to know his surroundings, to know that he's a creature of God, to know that he's created, and yet know that there's one that loves him, that will always protect him and guide him. And yet something horrible happened. We read about it in Genesis chapter 3. How long it was between this wonderful creation that these these people, Adam and Eve, well, by the way, uh, they are not fictitious people, okay? Uh, these were, the human race started with Adam and Eve. How long they knew wonderful uh, fellowship with their creator before Genesis chapter 3, before the serpent came in? It is not my place here to talk about original sin and why Satan fell and how he fell, okay? But he fell. And he came as a serpent to this newly created uh, couple, who nothing but God, no sorrow, no pain, all delight. And in full exercise of his capacity as having a soul and a spirit. Think about that. In full a capacity of his soul. Let's talk about that for a second. He had full capacity to enjoy the wonderful beauty and the absolute adornment of joy that God had placed before him. That's why Eden is called Eden. If you look at the, even the connotation of Eden, it is a paradise. It is something that God created for man because he loved him. He loved him. And then, man had a spirit. 
that could directly communicate with God. Unmarred, untainted because of love. If we miss that this morning, I think we miss everything. Love. We read in 1 John, God's, or, uh, the apostle says, God is love. But to understand that, we must go back to in the beginning, God created. Because God creates out of love. God does not create. He creates because he, it's an extension of his character. It's an extension for all the world to see his beauty and his glory and who he is. And that's the environment that these two were in. And yet something happened. The adversary, our enemy, Lucifer, the devil, came to this freshly couple in the form of a serpent. Now the serpent was more susceptible than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, as God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, ah, No, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which in the, is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Deception. The first thing that marred man's Conscience was deception, spiritual deception. God became a man and said an amazing declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Man is being deceived for four to 6,000 years, depending on your calculation. The history of mankind has been a history of deception, spiritual deception. Who is God? Is he really love? Can you imagine if God had not shown himself in Jesus Christ the kind of deception that would be rampant today? More than there is. But God showed the truth of himself through Jesus Christ. Man was deceived. The woman was deceived. She believed Satan rather than God. The man, he was not deceived. He fell in willfully, knowingly, into this lie. There's a consequence that happened. Sin causes death. Spiritual death and bodily death. Men today are walking around in spiritual death. They don't know it. They are separated from God. And death beyond the body will cause separation from the goodness, kindness of God forever. People say, well, why did God allow man to be deceived? Why did he just, why did he just keep it the same? Why, why did he not stop the deceiver, the tempter, Satan? Why did he not stop it? God's perfectly capable of stopping it. 
Why didn't he not do it? Think about that. Think of all the wars and the bloodshed and the tyrants and, and, and the death could have all been avoided if God would have stopped the snake right before he entered the garden, right? But God had a plan. Man could have enjoyed Eden forever, but we now, because of God intervening, we can enjoy him intimately in his heaven, being co-reigning with him forever. God wants to be loved from a free will. God wants to be loved because we see him for who he is, not for deception. That's why Jesus said, beware that no man deceive you. It's the oldest deception known to man, is, is the deception about God, spiritual deception. Right away after the fall, we see what happened. Adam, for the first time, realized that there's consequences to pay. For the first time, he realized the consequences of sin, and that was separation from his Creator, which caused fear and anxiety and death. Right away, they died spiritually. And there were the consequences, that separation. Man has all kinds of ideas about God how he is and how he reacts from a tyrant to, to uh, an uncaring God to somebody that's unknowable. But we see God immediately acting. Immediately acting. He turns to the one who deceived Eve. Listen to these words. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Right away, that's Genesis 3.15, right away we see God in love, seeking and searching, reaching for his lost, fallen creation. Man has another opportunity to Love God with their will, to will to love Him with all their heart. This is God's answer, folks. This is the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. What does it mean? What does Genesis 3.15 mean? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. God, when Jesus Christ came into this world, one thing we see is that Satan took God seriously and he was trying constantly to keep Christ from going to the cross. We see him trying to kill him as a child. We see him all, you know, all through his, his ministry. We see him at the end. We've talked about uh, you know, the religious leaders trying to call him down from the cross. We see all these things. What does it mean? God is going to come and he is going to deal a death blow to this one who caused the downfall of the race by deception. He's going to cause a death blow. That means that there is truth. Right away in the, in the Bible, we know that there is truth, that God has truth that is going to save mankind. And by the way, he's going to do it through a man. Oh yes, Christ 
Christ's heel would be bruised on the cross, but Satan's head would be crushed and the death blow would be dealt. Right away we see how God's going to do that. We go back to Genesis chapter 4. We see that as time went on, Cain and Abel were born. And we're laying the outline of getting into the heart of this message. Cain and Abel were born. People like to say these are fictitious characters. You take, you take Cain and Abel out of the picture, you take the threat of redemption out of the picture. And Abel also brought of the fatlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Cain was very, had, was full of wrath and his countenance fell. We can understand that God in the early parts of his word required an innocent substitute so that he could judge this innocent substitute for the sin of his fallen creatures. Both sets of people came to God in two different ways. We can trace all forms of the right way of God and the way that he will not uh, accept through Abel and Cain. Abel heard, obviously, through his parents that God required a sacrifice, an innocent sacrifice. And this is not blood sacrifices of of pagan religions to appease an angry God. This is an innocent, sinless, and innocent substitute that would take the punishment that God would judge for their sin. Cain, on the other hand, said, I know what I can do. I'll come, I'll give God the best of my of my ability. Cain came to God in Cain's way. He did not come in God's way. So we can trace all forms of religion, false religion, through Cain. Because all religion apart from from the biblical account of redemption has man doing something to get to God. Something to find favor with God. Something to be acceptable to God. So here we see early on, we're leading up, folks, to that indescribable gift that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. An indescribable gift. A gift that not only when it's received as one's own, it will not only change your life now, it will change your life for eternity. So as man went on, we see that God instituted a law. We all know it as the Ten Commandments. But we see it most predominantly in two places in the Old Testament. One, Exodus chapter 20, the other one, Deuteronomy chapter 5. I want to be read, I want to read it from Exodus chapter 20. You don't have to turn there, but if you if you want. Exodus chapter 20, starting verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Wow. What is a god? What's a god defined? A god defined is anything that comes between 
you and the true and living God, whether it be money or what have you. Let's just read through these real quick if you've not heard all the Ten Commandments. Verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Verse 8, this is strictly for the Jews. We'll get into this maybe a little bit later. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Look at verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother. Verse 13, Thou shalt not kill, or more, more uh, expensionality, thou shalt not murder. 14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 15, Thou shalt not steal. Verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Verse 70, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet the neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, nor his maid, excuse me, his maidservant, nor his manservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Well, why do I bring this up? Because everybody's broken these Ten Commandments. You know the value of the gift is received as the value of the gift when we know the value of it? We need Christ. We need God's love. In fact, the Bible says that we love God because He first loved us. We need it. We need to understand that we've all had other gods before Him. That we've all made graven images of one sort or another. We've all taken the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. We fail to give Him His rightful due. We fail to think about Him. We don't care about His will. We don't care about His way. We don't even care that the fact that we are created beings, therefore we're held accountable to Him. We should be able to go out and see this wonderful world and fall down on our, on our faces and worship Him, because, but because of sin... We're blinded. We're dead. Honor thy father and thy mother. I'm a testament I stand here today. I love my father and my mother, but have I honored them all my life? Absolutely not. <coughs> Do I carry the consequences of, 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 of guilt? I've been forgiven, but, but that goes on. Thou shalt not murder. Jesus said if you hate somebody, you've murdered. You've murdered in your heart. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, Jesus said that, that if you look upon a woman to lust for, you've committed adultery with her in your heart already. Thou shalt not steal. I'm a thief. And you're a thief. Bearing false witness against your neighbor, you shall not do it. Then you shall not cover thy neighbor's house. You shall not cover his wife. You shall not covet anything that he has. Because he is thy neighbor. We have a problem. <coughs> we have a problem. We were born sinners because we were born with a sin nature 
and yet we chose to sin. We have a double issue. We have a problem. And yet we see way back in Genesis that God has the remedy for that problem. He prophesied of that bad way back in Genesis 3. And he starts laying the groundwork of what pleases him. If I am to be acceptable in God's sight, something, one has to take that punishment for me. Some innocent substitute must take that punishment for me or I am doomed. I have sinned. People say, well, you know, the Ten Commandments, that was, that was for the Jews, was it? Ultimately, yes. Sinai was a thundering of God's pronouncements of His whole law and His holy character. But, do you realize that the Ten Commandments only has one binding issue for the Jew today? Under the Old Covenant? And that's to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was never intended for you and I. It was a Jewish understanding for a day of rest. God created the universe and everything in it in six days. On the seventh day, he rested in satisfaction from his completed work. He tells the Jews, you shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall keep it holy unto me. They even broke that. But Paul explains all this in Romans chapter 2, 14 and 15, that, that even though the Jews had the written law, God has put that law in every human's heart. It's in written in his heart. We've all broke it. We're all accountable. What was God to do? We couldn't keep the we couldn't keep the law, we broke it. Ah. Then we start progressing a little bit in his word. We see in Leviticus. Okay, and I'm not going to go with Leviticus chapter one. Verses four and ten, for example. I mean, so much of the Bible is about redemptive truth. If you're there, look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 4, for example. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be acceptable for him to make an atonement for him. An atonement. Verse 10. And then there are many. I'm just pointing these out. And if it... And if his offering be of the flocks, namely the sheep or the goats, for the burnt offering, he shall bring it in a meal without blemish. Here's where we start the line. From Genesis chapter 4 all the way through, it had to be unblemished. It had to be innocent. Because God is perfect and he's holy and he's just. Do you know that the Bible states explicitly, you take any one of those attributes of, uh, out, God cannot show himself in flawless love. He is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. So when he says, I will make atonement for your sin, you bring me a spotless, innocent sacrifice. Now I can hear some people say now, well, this is, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't a, uh, a Christmas story. This isn't a, yes it is. This is the ultimate Christmas story. You know, when we end this today and we're in Luke reading the Christmas story, we're going to see the love of God in Jesus Christ. He lavished His grace upon us in Christ because He loved us.
You know, I think that, uh, that when we realize the innocent substitute had to have been a male, okay? Firstborn, unblemished male. Now, not to get too hard, far ahead in this wonderful declaration, what was Jesus Christ? Firstborn, innocent male. Well, we start to get into the more traditional aspects of, of this, uh, this wonderful uh, Christmas declaration. Here in Isaiah chapter 7. You see, the Bible says that through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and therefore all of sin, because all of sinners, we have inherited a sinful nature. So men that were born of sinful men cannot, cannot alleviate that. That's just a fact of life. We were born in sin. We are born of the sinful nature, which produces the sin that comes out in life. But Jesus was different. Jesus was born of a virgin. He did not inherit a sinful line or a sinful nature from an earthly father. That is why it is so important that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. God's love. How does God deal with redemption? He, in his triune Godhead, causes his son to be born of a virgin. Look at 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Again, it wasn't it the Lord himself that gave the sign back in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord himself dealt with it. The Lord himself provided the lamb. The Lord himself provided the way. The Lord himself provided the Ten Commandments. And all we broke it, but in grace God provided the way of the Lamb. That we sacrifice. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God became a man. God intervened. How dare we think that we can climb a holy ladder to heaven on our own? God became a man. He was born of a virgin. So we have a problem. We have a problem from the get-go. We were born into this world with a sinful nature. We were born into this world spiritually separated from God. So God had to be born of a virgin. Or excuse me, Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Thus way back, Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God because it's unblemished. It was an innocent substitute. The Bible says that even though Abel is dead, yet he still speaks. God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave 
His only begotten Son. You start seeing how Christmas now is all about? God gave. It's a gift. So early on in the Bible, to understand this is to understand this is not just a religious ceremony. This is life indeed. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Our God gave us a gift, brethren, that is wonderful. And it's not the wonderful that we use to describe something on this earth. When God describes wonderful, it's something that is beyond our understanding. It's something that's beyond our imagination to conceive. It is wonderful. When God created everything and said it was good in His eyes, this is what we have. It's wonderful. Our counselor. Our counselor is not only going to be going to give us the truth. He is the truth. I don't want to be lied to anymore. Before Christ, we were all lied to. The mighty God, God did something. He pierced time and came into this world in the form of a man. Everlasting Father, the Father from all eternity. The Prince of Peace. Man does not know peace. After Adam transgressed after he ate and fell into that transgression, man has not known peace apart from Christ for all these thousands of years. And God has made peace. Well, all i got to do is make my peace with God. Well, you're wrong, brother. you got to understand, God has made peace. We need to accept peace and enter into that peace. If I was a country... And, I, and the world was at war with me, and they couldn't prevail against me as a strong country, and yet I made peace with the world. Isn't it, isn't it ridiculous the world saying, I still got to do something to try and make peace? All they have to do is enter into my peace, my peace agreement. I have made peace. God has made peace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. And all we must do is receive that, and we have peace with God. And that's why he's the Prince of Peace. There's no other way we can have peace other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God came into the world as a man and showed who He really is. He is not only wonderful beyond our imagination. He's our counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. And you know there's going to come a time when the increase of the government and peace there shall be no end. You know, when we, when we look at the birth of Christ, we see a work of God in human history that has never been duplicated, that has never seen the likes of before, and that has consequences for all mankind. It has consequences for you. You don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. God is speaking. Here's the groundwork. 
as 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 much as the time would 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 give us to lay. For 400 years after Malachi, the last prophet, there was no prophetic word that came to, to Israel. God's sheep, God's uh, people were scattered. Um, and then all of a sudden, there's a prophet that comes on the scene called John the Baptist. Talking about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Heralding in this wonderful fulfillment of what all that God said. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God again, <laughs> was sent from God. God takes the initiative of man's redemption and is this wonderful event we're leading up to. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation or greeting this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing shall be called, shall that be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Can you imagine? Our God piercing time for our redemption. Well, people say, well, wait a minute. They had the Lamb in the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament. Now, that, that was a cover-up. Because, see, only our Creator can be our Redeemer. There is the wonderful, magical fact of love. Our Creator that spoke everything, that could easily wipe it out and start it again. But our God loved us and desires us to be with Him. Our God is not a dictator. He is not a tyrant. He's not going to force himself upon you. No, he took the action and he proclaimed to all the ends of the earth, this is my salvation. Believe ye in him. Come to me. Be ye saved all the ends of the earth. God took the initiative. The angel told Mary, what's in you is so miraculous that only God himself can perform this. 
God is at work redeeming mankind and he chose you as his vessel. And what's going to happen in you is you are shadowed, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy One in you we call the Son of God. Wow. That's amazing. In chapter 2 of Luke, I know in our family we've read this for years and years and years. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And you know what? Guess who was governor of Syria when this proclamation went out? Check it out. It's, it's proven history. Verse 3, And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Everyone into his own city. Here we start to get the fulfillment of prophecy. Where was Jesus born? He wasn't born in Galilee. He wasn't born in the city of Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. So in order to get them to Bethlehem, Joseph had to uh, go to his, his lineage place. He had to go to his, his own town. Look at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth under Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, while being with child. God announced to his prophets exactly where he would be born. Micah 5 2 says, You, O Bethlehem, too small from the clans of Judah, from you shall go forth from me to be ruler over all of Israel. And it says at the end of Micah 5 2, his goings are from everlasting. All the prophets agree that this is the Holy One and that God, again, in love, sent this Holy One for us and for you. Verse 5, again, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son. I love King James here, probably because of peanuts. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to just take a quick moment here. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Man is separated now because of God because they find no room for him in their life. They find no room for his forgiveness they find no room for his kindness. They find no room for his love. And there were in that same country, verse 8, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore or very much afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For I bring you good tidings of great joy to all people. Not 
just certain people while the other people have no hope and are destined to perish. But I bring you tidings of great joy to all people. Everybody. Anybody. Who will accept this free gift, this love of God, this gift. God became a man solely for you and I. And it's atrocity today that we hear otherwise. I bring you good tidings, again, of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, verse 12, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest Peace on earth and goodwill towards men or to whom his favor rests. And it came to pass as the angels, verse 15, were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. As the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. From in the beginning, God created to man's fall and sin. God's created to God clothing them with skins of forgiveness, to allowing them and to come into his presence, to be temporarily forgiven of sin, waiting to the future one to come. God had all these things planned out because, brethren, he loves us. The only way people are going to go into a, a crisis attorney is because of they reject the love of God and the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that he offers. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, Paul says, of who I am chief. This babe was born. Right away we see the ferocity of, of our adversary, Satan, trying to get rid of him, trying to kill him. And yet God preserved him for you and I. I want to make one statement out of, out of the book of John regarding this, this one. This is a statement made by Jesus himself, and then I'll close with two, with two statements. You know, he said... In John 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world. Now, if you have some sets of people that would say, God only loved the favored ones, or God only loved the, uh, the lucky ones, or the fortunate ones. No, God so loved the world. That means you and I. That he gave. No strings attached. You know? 
It's not, we're not on probation. It's not like, well, I'm going to give you my son, but you better toe the line. Because see, to believe in Jesus is to have a complete oblivion of sins. And he goes one step further. He creates us a new creation. We will end with that. This is absolutely phenomenal. There's nothing in the world that can come close to this. There's no religion in the world that has a God that not only gropes and stoops to save, but keeps safe and makes a promise of life everlasting. No strings attached. We come to Christ. We are forgiven. We're made a new creation. See, right now, when you're outside of Christ, you're bound in sin. You're bound in a, in a, a nature and a state that you cannot do anything about. You are bound. You are hopeless. You are waiting to die in judgment. And after that, there's nothing more that you can do. When we come to Christ, we have a complete forgiveness of sins. And yet God makes us a new creation. We are no longer shackled under doom. We are not only kept in, not any longer kept in sin. Our future is changed from one of doom and gloom or speculation to hope and joy and anticipation. It's a changed life. It's not just a declaration, well, Jesus forgave me my sins, he's my Savior, and I'll go my way. No. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him, the Father that sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation or judgment, but has passed from death into life. It's a new life. John 5.24, we all know it, but listen to this. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me has everlasting life. I'm the bread of life. It's John 6.47, by the way. Remember back in Genesis 1? God created the heavens and the earth. When we come to Christ and receive that gift of eternal life, that gift of forgiveness, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. See if you can see the connection here. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. God creates. Our Creator is not only our wonderful Creator that we can experience being alive, but He's also our Redeemer that has taken away all sin, and He has made us new. We are new creations in Christ. Is there one word in the Bible that God says, I'm done and finished with, with the, the earth and, and all that I've created because of whatever we, reason? No. And yet, we have an erroneous teaching today that says, well, wait a minute, even though we might be new creation in Christ, or somehow that we can lose that position. Is that our God? No, that's not our God. Our God is a saving God, a keeping God, and a delivering God. And he will deliver us to heaven. Paul said that on his way, knowing Inevitable death, he says, I know who I believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. 
Our God, that's the nature of God. His Son came into the world not to put us on probation. God sent His Son into the world not to make a big if and create us to really toe the line. We were dead in sin. God sent His Son into the world that we would become new creations in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation. You're a new creation. Man tries to get to heaven in and of himself. He can't. He's a broken, marred, lost, sinful creature. God will have none of it. But God has made provision because He loved you so much and He is so holy. And God cannot do or be anything other than who He is. What is He going to do? He's going to send His Son to take your sin and my sin upon Himself and raise Him from the dead three days later. And now He's in the presence of God for us. And we, in Christ, have turned from our sin to Christ, received the gift of eternal life. We are new creations. Now we are fit to live with our God forever. And what God creates, He maintains. Did you know that? What God creates, He maintains. Just like He holds all things by the word of His power, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Temporarily? Talking about reading in something in the text that's not there. All things become new temporarily. I wish more people would say a resounding no. All things are new. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We need confidence. And God has given us that confidence in Christ Jesus. I want to end this morning by, by saying there are all kinds of words in the Bible to describe heaven, to describe hell, to describe men, to describe their conscience, to describe their thought pattern, to describe their sin, to describe all things. But the Bible says that simply, how can we describe Christ? Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. It is indescribable. It is full of glory. It is full of love. And that love is because God loved you. And he wanted you for himself. And we chose to go our own way. That's why the Bible points to the sheep. We've all gone our own way. That's the definition of sin. Going our own way. Doing our own thing. But the Lord laid the iniquity of us all on Him. Isaiah 53. When Jesus Christ was on the cross and the sky drew dark and He cried out in prophetic utterance, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, God unleashed the dam of hell. We've heard this so often. Is it wonderful? The dam of His wrath, meaning your wrath, my wrath, on Christ. The punishment that you and I deserve fell upon Christ. 
And I know whom I have believed. God raised him from the dead. He is satisfied. When I come to Christ and I turn to him as bearing my sin upon the cross, God is satisfied. I don't have to work anymore. This is the work of God, that you would believe on him whom he has sent. Work's done. Any work that I do or any work that's done for my life after I become a Christian is a, is a, is a byproduct of being in the tree and having the sap flowing through me. It's not something that I do to gain acceptance. It's something I do because I have been accepted. I love him. And I am changed. Yes, I still live in this body. Yes, I still sin. But Christ took the penalty for my sin. And there's going to come a day very soon, my friends, that we won't be in this body of sin anymore. We'll be banished from His presence. See, that's what salvation is. We're saved from the penalty of sin, from His judgment. Do you know that us and Christ will never face judgment again for our sin? Praise the Lord. The second part of salvation is that we're being saved from the dominion or the power of it. You know? You who have said, I've been in Christ for 30 years and still walk a sinful life, something's wrong. That's not the Bible. He's saving us from the power of it. And thirdly, we are ultimately going to save from the presence of it altogether when there will be no, no sin at all. And we will dwell with perfect righteousness. That's the reason why we celebrate today. God became a man. The most incredible, stupendous event this world will ever know. And you know what the deciding factor of human history is? was accomplished on a hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. When our Creator became our Redeemer and died for the sin of the world. Your sin and my sin. What are you going to do about Jesus Christ? Are you going to receive his gift of eternal life? Are you going to receive the love that God has for you, knowing that your creator loves you? Everybody's looking for love. The one who made me and you loves me and wants me for himself. That's the story, the redemption truth of the Bible. Truly, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And I will close with this. I know that there are those listening that will be listening to this on the internet. Man is incurably religious. And it's no coincidence that those will be listening that need Christ. Most of us here have entered into that blessed relationship. But if there are any of those listening to me that don't have that relationship, 
that don't have Christ, that have not received the gift of eternal life. I ask that now you would, would do it. And do it publicly. Every person that Jesus called, he called publicly. He says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before the angels in the presence of my Father. It is the most glorious thing to know that your sins are forgiven. That you know the one who created you. Isn't that an amazing thing? We know the one who created us. That is astounding. All because God loved us and came into this world. What's it mean to receive Christ? Say, Father, I, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. I know that you are real. I know that Jesus Christ came into the world for me. That he lived a perfect life for me. That I couldn't live. And then he went to the cross and he died for my sin. Instead of facing you as judge, Jesus suffered judgment for my sin for me. He was condemned and judged for my sin. And by turning to him and receiving forgiveness, He clothes you with righteousness, which means a right standing with God that changes your life, that gets you off the treadmill of sin, that gets you off the shackle of sin, that wants to eat away at your life, and He gives you everlasting life. And now instead of looking for judgment, we look for the Savior who loved me and died for my sin. And Father, all because I, even though I don't understand everything, I know that Christ died for me. I receive you, Lord Jesus. That is how wonderfully Easy it is to come to Christ, to have your sins forgiven. Turn from your lifestyle of going your way, of doing your own thing, of forgetting about God, of sinning. Turn from that and turn to the Savior. That's the reason why we celebrate today. And you can know right now, my friends, that he died for you. How can I be sure? Because God raised him from the dead. He lives. And he's coming back. And he desires to come back from you. God is not willing that any perish, but that all would come to repentance. Don't put it off.
That's a lie. I got time. Let me think about it. Let me look at other philosophies. Let me look at other religions. Let me look at other, you know, ways. You know, there are many ways, right? There's got to be. God can't be that restricting. There is one way, my friends, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. Just as Satan deceived Eve and said, hey, has God really said? He's lying to you now by saying, you got time. Check other things out. Don't be so narrow-minded. You know it's the truth. You know God is speaking. You know these things that happen in a corner. Because God puts his witness and stamps it upon every man. He's speaking now. You need to come to Christ. What better way than on Christmas morning? And we just again give thanks to God for his indescribable gift. Cam, would you pray, please? Thank you, our Father in heaven, for the gift of your Son, perfect God and perfect man, and a perfect gift for lost human beings. Thank you that you died for our sins, you were pleased with his work, and when we put our faith in Christ, we are clothed in your righteousness immediately and forever. We thank you for all that you've given to us, your continued grace to us. That's what Sarah Young does in her book, Jesus Calling, amongst many other things. And I'm not picking on her or her book. What I'm saying is that there are false prophets, there are false things coming in, there are everywhere that are saying, I've heard from God. Really? God needs me a lot more than I need Him? better fear God now. You're going to learn to love Him. But He is the God of creation. And He has the right to do what He wants to do. If He wanted to wipe everything out and start fresh, that was His right to do it. If He wanted to stop with, 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 the, with the Israelites in the, in, the, in the desert, Sam, done. He could have done it. He could have, eons past, knowing all things, says, you know what? I don't want to see my son falsely condemned. I don't want to see people hating him. I don't want to see my son being beaten like that. Think about your sons or your daughters. Would you want to see them treated like that? I wouldn't want to see anybody pull out my son's beard and whip him senseless and beat him. And then knowing that he was going to go to the cross to bear the sin of the world. You talk about a load that is born patiently. That's how much God loves us. No, we need him. We need him. He's the one that we live 
or die by. <clears throat> we all live on that razor's edge between life and death. People that don't, they're deluded. Oh, I got many, I, you know. Yeah, we, we love all to live for retirement age or whatever, but you know what? That's just not a fact. I've lost two really good friends out of high school, right out of high school. I lost another one, 23 years old. Life is no guarantee. But that's what the world says. Oh, you have plenty of time. It is the truth to be received. It is truth to be believed. It's the truth that, that you can see that growth only comes from Him. Are there any, are there any questions before we close? This is truth that needs to be communicated today. This is the perseverance that Peter's talking about in verse 6 and just the Christian life. Are we going to preserve? Are we going to uh, carry on? Because if you follow that line of truth all through the Bible, and I promise I will close with this. I'm sorry, folks. This is exciting and this is important. One of my family, thank you. One of my favorite verses or uh, Psalms is Psalm 37. You know, there's all type of things in there. But you know, God <coughs> keeps us and preserves us. And in, in Psalm 37 verse 28, it says, The Lord loves justice. He loves justice. Justice happened on the cross for you and I. Do you realize that? God vindicated his justice when Jesus was on the cross taking punishment for our sin. That's what sin demands, punishment. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. And you follow that word preserve through the Bible and you will understand it comes directly linked with the keeping God that once he... He is a saving God. He saves us not only from our sins, He saves out of trouble, He saves from evil, but He saves from wrath. And that's this is going to be distinguishable behind all the people that are, that are in Christ Jesus versus the world that's heading to Armageddon. Wrath is God's avenue alone. And that wrath passed for me and went on Christ in judgment. And by receiving that, we have entered into new life. Those of you that are listening, if there's any listening today that have not received Christ, you heard this. You heard the gospel. How Christ came into the world for you. He, he was nailed on a cross for you. Those words in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, were said for you. He took your punishment. He rose three days later as proof that that sacrifice could save you if you put your trust in Him and Him alone. Not your works, not your merit, not anything. God does not grade our curve. God is just. And without Christ, you're going to be condemned. You're going to stand before God one day and you're going to give a reason why you have rejected that. Why you could have had the Savior, but now you have the judge. 
And the judge is right, and he's holy, and he's true. You know, it's one thing, if I get a traffic ticket, I might be able to bribe my way out, or I might be able to go and say, well, judge, yeah, but you know, I, my wife was having a baby, and I had to break the law, and I had to, you know, one way or the other. But when we stand before God, and you're still in your sins, there is going to be no explaining things away. God will judge rightly, and he will judge fairly. And all the world of the redeemed will watch as you turn around slowly and you walk into outer darkness with his weeping and gnashing teeth. That's how much God loves you. So for a false prophet to say that, that God needs me more than I need him is nonsense. Cam, will you pray, please? Thank you, our Father, our Creator, and our Redeemer. You have given us so many promises. That's the, that's the nature of scriptures. Mm. One promise after another. Mm-hmm. You're faithful to each and every one of them. That you have reduced to writing. We thank you for all of them. We pray that we'll depend more and more on each of them as we live our lives. Mm. We thank you in the name of Christ our Savior. of my life. He has access to every fiber of my being. That includes my thought life. Make that decision now. So when temptation comes, your decision has already been made. I am Christ. He is mine. I am not going to submit to the things of the world. I've already submitted myself to Christ. My heart is already in his hand. My treasure is already with him. He is my life. Do it now. So when the temptation comes, you're not fighting to try to find a a decision, or you're not fighting to try to get that sudden strength. You know, I remember on, on one particular situation somebody was accustomed to searching the internet and well after you do that is all you know you have they you have a tendency to whatever you go on the most it'll either pop up or something like that well he had been in in this particular individual had had succumbed to pornography and all that before and, and just, just sites that he shouldn't have been on we made that decision and unfortunately, he still had that same computer and stuff like that. So when things would pop up, that decision was made. They didn't pop up and he have to go, oh, you know, and try to find a certain strength that he does not have. He has to try to find a quick solution because temptation comes upon a man like that. You don't have time. Do it now. So when the temptation comes in, you don't worry about time. The decision has been made. And let me tell you what, Jesus will not rule somebody who does not want him to. People say, wow, really? Yes, really. That is one of the evils of Calvinism and other things. God will exalt a man who is lowly and contrite and humble of heart that trembles at his word 
They know that he's the high and lofty one. We've made that decision that, oh Lord, my God, you are my king and my God. All I have is yours. My decision has been made. And now when temptations come, you know what? Blow as they will. It's the way it is. You know, the Bible says that a, a righteous man falling down before the wicked is like, a, is like a muddied stream, a polluted well. And that's why. Spiritual warfare. Your enemy is out there. But look at this. Verse 10, but, he, but may the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, you have suffered a little while. This is the end. He will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Make that decision now, my friends. Look at that. After you suffer a little while, this is a promise of God. He's going to perfect you. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you, and he's going to settle you. Some of us in our Christian life are stilted, and we, should, we aren't advanced as we should be because we're flirting with temptation. We've not made that decision. We're lukewarm. We don't know if, if, if really what we want to do. Some of you need to wrestle with God now. Even as, ja even as Jacob did. He says, I'm not going to let go of you until I receive a blessing. We need, to, we need to wrestle with ourselves and say, I'm not going to let go until I know that Christ is mine and I am his. And he is welcome into any avenue of my being. Is he welcome into your thought life? Is he welcome into your time off? Is he welcome into your home when nobody else is around and nobody sees you? He should be welcome everywhere because we're his. We've been bought with a price. He's going to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And why? The outcome is always going to be for our good and his glory. Look at verse 11. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus and faith, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying. Look at this. That this is the true grace of God in which you stand. This is it. You know, one, one thing I love, ah, it's just amazing. I'm almost done. Thank you for hanging in here. This is, uh, I hope this has been instructive. Um, Again, pastors are restricted by time, which, which uh, always runs contrary to me. But Paul says this about the gospel. Remember at the beginning, we're talking about the gospel. The gospel saves us, puts us on that foundation, gives us a, a complete forgiveness of sins, a place with Christ in the heavenly realms, and we're, and we're, we're seated, and now we're to grow. Paul says this about the gospel. He says, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are saved. So you stand on this gospel. This is the foundation of your Christian life. You're saved by the gospel of Christ. Now we get Peter, who started out his epistle, talking about not only have we been uh, elect, not only talking about the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ and the sanctification of the Spirit, but that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, 
Peter says it in another way that we've been blessed by the living hope to Christ to raise us from the dead and so on and so forth. He ends this epistle as Paul ended 1 Corinthians by saying, this gospel I preached to you is the gospel in which you stand. Peter is explaining the gospel, explaining what it entails. Yes, we've been saved from our sin. Now we're Christians. We're, we're born ones of Christ. Now we're growing. And he, say, he goes through all this, which includes spiritual warfare. And he says, this is the true grace of God in which you stand. It's the all-inclusive gospel. It's the, it's the shedding of the blood of Christ. It's the going in the tomb. It's raising in the third day. It's ascending to the Father who is, who is at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. It's the Holy Spirit coming down. It's the where we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And everything we do, we do with the hope of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and so on and so forth. And now, not only correct understanding of where we're to be and what we're to do and our enemy around here, He's saying all this is included in the grace of God by which you stand. And he closed by saying, She who is in Babylon elect together with you greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ Jesus. And my friends, he ends this by saying we need to greet one another with a kiss of love. You know, the Bible says in the second psalm, and I love the way that King James put this, it says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. You know, that is a term of affection. Are we affectionately love for one another? Because that's what's going to keep us walking with Christ, is love. Make up your mind now. Follow him now. Fully. Because as Peter said, he was zealous on saying these things and bringing these things to reminder because Jesus had told him shortly he's going to go away. Paul says the same thing. He says, the same, say the same thing as to you as me, not tedious, but to you it's profitable. Oh, it's just another sermon. It's just another this. It's just another that. No, it's an admonition to follow Christ today. Make that decision today. Father, I just thank you for this epistle. Lord, I just pray that you take away the rough edges that I put there and that the pure word would plant itself deep within our heart, that we would realize that the love of God knows no bounds, and yet we need to understand that there's an adversary out there. The one that wants to destroy us. That is bent on doing what he can in these last days. It's going to get worse. And I pray we would be solidified. We'd be ready. That we'd love one another. If it gets worse in these days to come. And we're parted from one another. We don't have a place to come so comfortably like most parts of the world. I pray that we would ask ourselves, will we be able to stand? Will we be able to stay strong and say, come Lord Jesus? 
Father, I pray that we'd be ready. We'd be ready, Lord, for your coming. And I pray as the Apostle John says, Come, Lord Jesus. And Father, in his name I pray. Amen.